Hello, babies. What's going on? You know, I am doing all right. I'm having one of those moments where I feel like there is nothing interesting going on in my life, though. Um, I have this daily planner where I write down the gratitudes of the day. I try to write stuff in as they happen or maybe at the end of the day or during my morning rituals the next day when I wake up and I'm finally like functioning like a human being. But lately I have been struggling. (laughs) I don't think that there is anything happening in my life that feels substantial. You know, I'll write something down like, oh, I cooked dinner for myself. And that feels like something major, which I guess is kind of the overall point, right? Like, you know, be grateful for the smallest things in your life. But I am so fucking bored. (laughs) I am so bored. My mom and my sister call me and we do that very Southern thing of tell me something good. What's going on? And I got nothing. I got shit. (laughs) Way back in September, I bought an exercise bike, right? But I could not sweet talk anybody into putting it together for me until December. And then someone gave me a 60 day trial to the Peloton app. And I've been using that and the bike pretty regularly, actually. Um, But I am still so very fucking bored. (laughs) I have tried all of the trendy and popular instructors and they do nothing for me, which is not, it's no shade to them. They're fine. They're great. I'm sure they are wonderful and fantastic. But I am not an athletic person. I am not into uh, exercise, it seems. The only athletic things that I have ever been into were swimming and Zumba. (laughs) That like, I don't know, weird kind of faux... Latina dancing craze. I don't know what what it really is, but it was like dancing with like Afrobeat and a lot of Caribbean music, which was great. I love doing that shit. I also really love the Wii Michael Jackson video game where you followed all of his choreography. Uh, That's I'm telling you uh, how old I am with that one, I guess. But that shit was fun as hell. Uh, You know, I really enjoy the rush of physical exertion. And I've talked about this a few times, but it still doesn't make me much of an athlete at all. And I like watching sports. I'm not really into playing them because I think I'm not a great team player. I get really competitive. I curse a lot and I just become something really ugly. Um, And also as a fan of sports, I am not a blind follower. I hold grudges a lot. So if somebody messes up, I will never ever forget. (laughs) And there's a lot of shit that I just do not understand about sports fandoms. So I asked Josh Terry, a music and culture journalist, to join me and help break down what goes on beyond the face painting and the tailgating. We're sponsored this week by Monk Pack. Monk Pack offers low-sugar, keto-friendly bars, which are plant-based, gluten-free, and non-GMO. They're the perfect snack for anyone who's trying to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. Monk Pack bars have an amazing chewy texture and come in delicious flavors like sea salt dark chocolate, coconut cocoa chip, and caramel sea salt. They're perfect for a quick breakfast, especially when you don't like breakfast like I do or a snack between Zoom calls. Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it's backed by a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason at all, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. 
Get 20% off your first purchase of any Mockpack product by visiting mockpack.com and entering our code THISISGOOD at checkout. To get started, just go to mockpack.com. That's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com and select any product. Then enter the code THISISGOOD at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. We're also sponsored this week by Beta Brand. Think you have to sacrifice style for comfort? Not at all. It's 2022. Women deserve better than that. Beta Brand has the comfortable pants women need without sacrificing style, polish, or personality. Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants are designed with the fit and flexibility of yoga pants, but they look like polished dress pants. They're soft, comfy, perfectly stretchy, and stay wrinkle-free. These look good enough to wear around town, but they're also comfy like loungewear. Right now, get 30% off your Beta Brand order when you go to betabrand.com slash thisisgood. That's B-E-T-A brand.com slash thisisgood for 30% off your order for a limited time. Make sure to use the special URL because it supports the show. Find out why women are buying five different pairs of these pants. So go to betabrand.com slash thisisgood for 30% off. And we're sponsored by Best Women's Erotica of the Year. Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 7, features the hottest erotic stories by popular authors such as Lucy Eaton, Adriana Herrera, Erin McClellan, Angelina M. Lopez, Holly Trent, Sarah Taylor Woods, and many others, edited by the award-winning Rachel Kramer Bustle. Dive into 20 new varied erotic short stories on the theme of surprise. From fantasies to fetishes to sci-fi, all short enough to enjoy, even if you don't have a lot of time. They're doing a giveaway of the new anthology on Instagram at Best Women's Erotica through February 14th. If you comment with, this is good, you get an extra entry. Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 7, edited by Rachel Kramer Bustle, is now out in print, ebook, and audiobook wherever you buy books. My name is Josh Terry. I'm a writer based in Chicago. I'm currently working at Netflix for their uh, To Doom project, but I'm a freelance music and culture journalist. Uh, I previously worked for the Chicago Tribune, the AV Club, and Vice. Um, yeah, and I'm also here because I'm a huge sports fanatic, and that is my hobby. It's always tricky when you're a journalist or especially like a culture writer because um, we're in the very rare profession where we've just managed to monetize the things we're passionate about. <laughs> so when Nicole asked me to be on this podcast, I was sort of like, oh my God, what are my hobbies? Because like, I'm a music journalist. Music is like my biggest passion, but it's also my job. Same with now TV and film. So when I was like sort of racking my brain, I was like, okay, the one thing that I do to escape work that I don't really write about is sports. Not so much sports athletics, even though it is a very good um, move to stay active and you know exercise you know look at me it's that's I'm, i look like i'm more in a band than i am <laughs> a professional athlete i'm more of the guy on the sidelines cheering on the team <laughs> uh so that was my first question do you play sports or did you ever play sports 
Yeah, I actually did. Uh, so when I was growing up, I was growing up in the 90s in Michigan. And I feel like it, the 90s sort of like spawned every parent wanted to have their child try every single sport, you know, so we did swimming lessons, soccer, baseball. Um, my parents said no to football. And I was also pretty relieved about that because I was a very uh, um, pain averse child. Um, <laughs> but the and we also tried golf, which was a total disaster. Every sport that I tried, I was just terrible at it. You know, there's this concept of having natural athletic ability. And I did not have it. I was a very like, skinny child but i'm also very tall so i was six five by the time i was eighth grade and i just didn't really know how my limbs worked i was kind of like bambi but the uh the one sport that i did actually sort of excel at and was the thing that i actually enjoyed doing the most was tennis i kind of felt like because of my like size i could you know hit the ball without having to run all the time and you know the game of tennis is really was sort of like meditative the sounds are really interesting and you know once you get good and like kind of learn how to hit it without it like flying outside the court you know it was fun to be able to be like hey i'm not the most athletic kid but if we play tennis i'm gonna win um <laughs> but that's really where my athletic journey ends I've, I've recently gotten back into tennis uh it, it's not really like riding a bike i'm not as good as i thought i was <laughs> but um yeah my real sports journey has been more on the watch on tv or watch in person right <laughs> rather than actually be on the court so i would also assume then that because you were so tall that people were probably just like are you playing basketball basketball and and did you have to reject that all the time yes yeah i i mean i'm 30 years old and i still get that question (laughs) (laughs) yeah like my friends try to like recruit me for their pickup game and i'm like listen man like i could maybe block the basketball but i have like very little coordination with dribbling and my my shot is is pretty pitiful so you're from the midwest Mm -hmm. and i feel like midwestern people are like extra fanatic about sports yeah i mean you know uh we spend a lot of time indoors being in the midwest so or being outside but um you know i think there's like a certain like especially when it gets cold out you know watch the big game whether it's the lions or the chicago bears the pistons or the bulls yeah and the midwest is sort of just like the the place for every sport has representation and people, you know, get really passionate about it. I don't know if it's a Midwest thing, but it, it was definitely real. Um, my parents are both, are all Chicagoans. So I was the kid in the 90s, like growing up in Michigan, being the Bears fan, the Bulls fan, and the Blackhawks fan, which was especially hard because the Red Wings are quite good at hockey. And I was like bullied a lot for being like the one guy who was in the small Um, Michigan classrooms being like pro Chicago when I just lived in Big Rapids, Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) So your sports fanaticism goes across all major sports. Your basketball, football, hockey. Yeah. Do y'all have soccer up there? I don't know. Like what? I don't think we have soccer in Michigan, but we definitely have soccer in Chicago, which is where I'm based right now. Yeah. It's sort of been just one of those things where, you know, in the same way that like seeing a great film or 
listening to a great album or reading an amazing book kind of had this sort of like therapeutic meditative thing. It kind of was that for me. Like, you know, I, I have like a real memory of when it really kind of kicked in. When I was a, a child, uh, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. I started having seizures when I was like 10 years old and you know, my mom kind of freaked out and, you know, obviously it's a scary thing. But uh, so I was like stuck home from school for like a month. You know, I just wasn't at school. So I was like just watching a lot of TV and it was just sort of like I was so bored that I was like, all right, let's like put on the basketball game. And I asked my mom to tape the basketball game from the night before where I was like too young to stay up that late. So I was just sort of like, cool. I'm really scared about what's going on with my brain and I'm like missing my friends and I'm missing school. But like the one thing is like this basketball game is really cool and these players are cool. So I like kind of started this thing where it's like when something goes wrong, I'm like, all right, cool. What's the next game on, you know? <laughs> and so I think that sort of just translated to be like sports are always going to be there. And it's cool that you can kind of feel like you're a part of a community when, you know, you're just stuck at home by yourself. Yeah. Uh, we're going to come back to that community aspect of it. Mm. But um, what makes a good sports fan? Um, okay. I don't have like a universal answer. Um, I kind of feel like if you'd ask a random sports fanatic what makes a good sports fan, they would say a lot of things that I would think make sports fans actually kind of toxic and bad. You know, um, there's there's no real criteria. It's just watch the game and have fun. And in Chicago, you know, there are a lot of like local bars for people who've moved to Chicago from, say, Buffalo or Detroit or any of these major cities. You could go there on Sunday and watch and reconnect with like people who are from your hometown, but living in this big city. You know, I think sports fandom is just kind of all about enjoying yourself. You know, um, obviously, you know, you should support the team you're raised on. But, I, you know, I also don't care if you're like my sports team did something I don't agree with and or has a player who did something terrible. And I don't think I can like morally support this team. You are totally fine to switch sides and just like have fun with it. I don't get the people who are like, you have to stay a fan of that team. Because like I mentioned earlier, I was raised a Blackhawks fan. I don't support the Blackhawks anymore. You know, they won three Stanley Cups and it was great living in the city, but the organization, not even just the name, which I was never really comfortable with, but the organization did terrible things 10 years ago covering up the sexual assault of a player. So I'm like getting rid of my jerseys and deciding never to pay tickets to go to one of their games. Being a sports fan is just sort of like you get what you need out of it. You know, and there's no real rules. It's just sort of like watch these amazing competitors play a great game, read about it, understand the game, understand the motivations of the people, understand the politics of it all. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're watching workers working for owners who are making political decisions that we don't know about or we do know about. It's not just like just entertainment. I think a good sports fan is informed about what the owners are doing what the players are doing what's going on and understanding that like sports is political you know you're going to have to make decisions that are best for what you believe in and you know your favorite team is going to break your heart or your favorite player is going to break your heart you know so what makes a bad sports fan because you talked about Ooh. the toxic nature of them yeah so everything has bad fans you know this isn't unique to sports but there is a sort of aggression and toxicity that comes from sports fans. You know, I remember when I was a kid, my dad took me to a Bears fan. And I, you know, I was like five years old and I like went to the bathroom and I like in the bathroom, like 
three guys like broke out into a huge brawl. I was five years old and they were like throwing things and like a like an old stereo missed my head by a few inches. You know, it was just like one of those things. It was terrifying. Like obviously football is a violent sport, but that doesn't give rights for the fans to act like that. Um, you know, and you could just scroll on Twitter and see sports fans engaging in really toxic and offensive behavior. Um, you know, uh, that, that makes a terrible sports fan. And I think the reason why I pick sports is because I think sports can be way more than like sort of the stereotype that is associated with sports fans. I think it's funny because I'm a indie rock journalist, you know, I'm the guy who goes to concerts and loves bands that people haven't heard of. And I don't look like the stereotypical sports fan. You know, I remember being on a date like a couple years ago and she was like, I didn't realize you were that into sports. That's kind of weird. And she was like, you know, like an artist. And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I should have toned that down a little bit and talked more about music. But um, it's one of those things where I kind of feel like if I can watch a game with anyone, I can get them into what's going on, no matter the sport. And I think it's fun because it's this little bit of escapism and you can find these communities wherever you are of people who are just genuinely passionate and friendly rather than toxic and swearing all the time or getting into fights at stadiums or, you know, talking trash about the other team. Like, that's the thing. Like, I love trash talk. I'm a very competitive person, but I just don't get the whole, like, your team sucks kind of, like, <laughs> social media back and forth that happens with uh, some toxic sports fans. Uh, let's talk about the community that is so helpful to you. What... um how do you find a good sports community and what do you look for to make sure it's a, you know, a group of people that you want to associate with? Yeah. I mean, at least in my friendships, um, you know, most of my friends are sort of in this uh, Chicago music community, which is where I live and like where I do my work. So it's like either people who work at venues or artists or other writers. And, you know, we get sick of, you know, just talking about the same bands over and over and like what shows we went to and when they go on tour when my friends travel or something we always kind of have the chicago bulls and we're all kind of in this like basketball group chat where it's probably more active than like my family group chat <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just a bunch of guys who are usually like around um traveling and we're just kind of always talking about what's going on in the nba i think that's really helpful just to like especially in the past couple of years where, you know, we've all been stuck at home, but it's been cool to kind of like have that community of friends. Um, it is kind of going back to the whole like, oh, when things aren't going too great, like I really get into like a new sport or start watching sports is like sort of a way to like, you know, take my mind off things. Uh, when my first big media job, I was the music reporter for the Chicago Tribune's Red Eye Chicago. It's the free alternative daily. It no longer exists, unfortunately. But um, in 2017, I was laid off. I was like 25, I think. I thought I was going to stay at that job forever. And it really took the wind out of my sails. And I remember trying to get back into freelancing. And when you go from a nine to five to just so much free time, and like the editors that you thought were going to email you back aren't emailing you back. You're just kind of like alone. And like, I feel like I should be working, but there's nothing to work on. And so I was like, okay, it's a Tuesday at 1 p.m. Is there anything on TV? And I was like, oh, there's like a bunch of soccer matches. That's cool. Is there a soccer bar in my neighborhood? Turns out there was like a few blocks away. So I just walked down. And then that's what I did for like that whole year. I sort of just like immersed myself with these, you know, 
British expats who loved Liverpool. And obviously, you know, picking a uh, UK side, not being from the UK kind of feels like you're just hopping on a bandwagon. But these people were so nice and so friendly and the bar was so cool that I was just sort of like, cool, I'm a huge Liverpool fan now. (laughs) And it's sort of developed where you just see these people that you watch these games with around Chicago. And, you know, I would be at a bar with my friends who are my age and then was like, 50, 60 year old British expat would walk in and be like, Josh, what's up? And all my friends would be like, how do you know that guy? (laughs) It's these small connections that you make, you know, and that happens across sports. You know, there's this great bar. It's a Bears bar. It's run by this uh, 65 year old Polish woman. Every Sunday, you know, everyone comes to watch the Bears and there's like a potluck kind of deal. And it's like this great communal thing. And I kind of want to get to the point where I'm like, the one doing the potluck and like bringing all this food and like everyone's just sort of like hanging out, having a chill beer on a Sunday afternoon. And like these kind of small connections are really kind of heartwarming. And it's cool that people from all different walks of life can develop these cool friendships just because we're rooting on our team, you know? Yeah. Uh, So finding a team is not just about where you happen to be born and raised. Like, it's just not about your location. Yeah. I will say with my family who are all from Chicago, it's very cool to have that sort of family history with one team and to be able to like, you know, if you don't know what to talk about with your uncle, you could always talk about how Justin Fields is doing as the rookie QB of the Chicago Bears. But for me, honestly, like picking a team is all about vibes. Um, You know, It wasn't even just because those people at the bar were so nice. Like one of the reasons why I picked Liverpool was that like it's a historically pretty socialist team. You know, reading up on the team, you were like, oh, these guys kind of like align with like left wing values. And like their most famous coach was an avowed socialist. And the current coach is like super on the left and like aligns with me politically, which is kind of pretty rare when it comes to professional athletes. Some of them have pretty regressive views, Um, you know, and that that's been cool that I'm like, okay, cool. This team might disappoint me, but at least there's that history that I can go back to and be like, hey, this aligns with my politics. And picking a team is really fun. And I I think you can just kind of change when you feel like it. I know sports fans who are listening to this podcast would get very mad at me for saying it, but... (laughs) Who cares? You know, they're not going to miss you. (laughs) I think it's sort of just like if you're interested at all in any kind of sport, it's a fun period to just watch and be like, maybe I should support this team. Or if you're watching tennis, like what athletes personalities do you like? You know, Mm -hmm. same with basketball. One of the things that's really cool about basketball is that at any given time, there are only 10 guys on the court because there's so few people, you kind of get to know their personalities and you kind of get to know their motivations. So it's like, even besides what's going on in the basketball court, you don't have to know any of the strategy or what a zone defense is, but you do know that like these two players are mad at each other because they used to play on the same team or this guy made fun of them on Twitter. So now he's going to foul him. It's kind of like this mini soap opera behind this like fun, exciting sports game. Yeah. So I grew up in Nashville and we, for a very long time, we did not have any major sports teams. Uh, We had like the Nashville Sounds, which was like, um, I guess, minor league baseball. Yeah, they're minor league baseball. Um, And then we got the Titans. They used to be the Houston Oilers um, and then they moved to Nashville. So finally got a football team. 
still don't have a basketball team. So people kind of expect me to gravitate towards the Memphis Grizzlies, which again kind of started a little later. Mm, they were originally the Vancouver Grizzlies. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so we just kind of, you know, adopted these like, well, I guess most sports teams are that way. They came from someplace mm-hmm. else and then changed into what we know of them today. Um, yeah. But so my team, my favorite basketball team is the Lakers because I grew up in an age of magic versus bird, you know, like that, mm-hmm. that was the thing. And so I would try to talk about basketball because, I mean, I love basketball. I love watching it mostly on, honestly, I'm going to be honest that it was kind of like, these are the type of men that I like seeing the, <laughs> the, the tall, lanky kind of slim cut men running up yeah. and down the court. It was like very hot to me, but also I like, like what you were talking about with the so few people on the court, you get to see them a little better than like football or, or anything mm. like that. But when I would try to talk to men about basketball, I would get hazed to the point that it just turned me off of talking about sports in general. Like the gatekeeping, yeah. this whole like, you're not a fan. Tell me about this player from 1945, you know, like yeah. that kind of shit. And I was just like, that's that's so fucking annoying. I just want to talk about what's happening right now. I don't want to like spew stats at you in order to prove that I enjoy this sport. How yeah. can how can can we do anything to combat that kind of gatekeeping in order to prove I am the ultimate fan if I know this historical fact? Yeah, I I can't deal with that sort of fandom because one, it's just it's just trivia. You know, it doesn't mean anything if you fill your brain with all these uh, sports statistics and use that as the way to make it the sport you love less welcome to people it just it feels so counterintuitive because you know at least in my life like i realized like how much fun i've had like with all different kinds of sports um and i just never would have wanted to make someone feel like they they can't join on that type of fan is so prevalent and it's so annoying you know obviously you just gotta tell those people to to fuck off there's really no <laughs> that you don't need to engage with them they are not representative of the teams they claim to support and they're not representative of the sports they claim to love it's just people who want to feel like they're special and they're insecure when other people start liking the things they like i mean it happens in film it happens in music you know there's nothing more annoying than like a music fan who thinks you're stupid for not knowing like their niche band that they like it's just a very juvenile behavior that i feel like we're all adults. We shouldn't be quizzing people on sports teams. Like, do you want a medal? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> sports is something that is so much fun, but it also has a history of bad people either running the sport or playing in the sport or being fans of the sport. I kind of just feel like the fans who are not toxic, the fans who are doing these community things or making these relationships and making these memories because of these sports should be the loudest people, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not the people who are gatekeeping, not the people who are trying to drown out progress being made in these sports. Mm. Do you have to be somewhat superstitious in order to be a sports fan? You know what? Uh, I I like to say that I'm not a superstitious person, but I kind of definitely am. <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite hockey team, uh, because I gave up the Chicago Blackhawks, I decided to make up for a lost childhood in Michigan. And I'm like, all right, I'm finally supporting the Detroit Red Wings. And I bought a jersey 
And then as soon as I got the jersey, the Red Wings won the game. And then I was like, maybe I should wear the jersey again. And then they won five games in a row. And then I was like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I need to wash this jersey. And then as when I was doing laundry, I was watching the game and they lost that game. So now it's like, I don't know what to believe. <laughs> and I think that's fun. I don't know. Uh, growing up, my parents are, my mom's a Cubs fan. And, you know, they had this whole concept of uh, the Billy Goat curse. What is that? Someone had brought their billy goat to Wrigley Field, and then the owner was like, you can't bring a goat to a baseball game. What are you doing, man? And the billy goat's owner was like, I'm cursing the franchise. And then they didn't win a World Series for like 100 years. And people were like, it's the billy goat curse. And there's like restaurants in Chicago called Billy Goat Tavern. It's like a huge part of the like mythos of the Chicago Cubs. I think it's funny. I think... You know, these sort of like superstitions and rituals are, you know, they sound alien to a lot of people. Like, for instance, I didn't go to like a uh, college sports focused college. You know what I mean? I went to a liberal arts school in Chicago. We have a good basketball team now, but we didn't have football. And I was kind of like, so you like look at these like sort of like college football rituals that happen before the game and you kind of feel like you're in like a dystopian movie. You know, <laughs> it's very bizarre, but I think it's really fun. I like Obviously, don't get too superstitious, but a little healthy superstition kind of makes it charming, I think. Yeah. What other rituals do you have before you watch any sports? Oh, I, I don't, I'm not really a personal ritual thing, but there are rituals that uh, sports teams do that I find pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for instance, I was just in Nashville a couple weeks ago, and um, me, my girlfriend, and my sister, and uh, her husband all went to a Predators game. Mm-hmm. And one of their, like, I don't know, I don't know exactly why they do this, but they throw a catfish on the ice. Yeah. Like, fans sneak in a catfish, like, <laughs> underneath their shirt and throw it under the ice. Yeah. Like, before the game starts. And it's obviously they're ripping off uh, the Detroit Red Wings who do that. They throw an octopus on the ice. What? And it, I, if you just tell a stranger, like, yeah, I brought a catfish to a to a hockey game, they're going to look at you like <laughs> you're a loony. Um, but I think it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, even though it's ridiculous and silly, it is like culture. You know, yeah. people are making their own their own traditions and their own sort of meaning to this very random and funny thing. You know, I think there's value in that. Yeah, it was a few years ago. I think the Preds made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, yeah, and there was like all of this drama with the fans bringing in the catfish um, because they were at where were they? They it was at it, I was at the other team's arena. Yes, like it, one guy got arrested. Yes, like, <laughs> <laughs> that can fly at Nashville, but not uh, I forget who they were. Playing. Right, and so then it became not just about like the ritual, right? It became mm-hmm. about trying to sneak the catfish in past security and like who would be able to be the person to do it and like all the different ways that you could you know sneak in this really huge smelly item past the away team um so it was really that's really interesting but you should it's make super funny <laughs> it is you should make your your new hockey team the predators instead of the red wings i, I yeah mean, you're right i mean they're they play in a different division so uh i i i do watch the predators games and i was rooting for the predators while i was there it was really fascinating because you know this was my first time seeing a game of 
Georgetown Arena. And I was really charmed by, you know, Nashville fans are very passionate about the Predators. And they have these, like, songs that they sing, like, during the game. Yes. They have the, and it's, like, arranged with, like, what the music the arena is playing. Yeah. It was, like, really fascinating. Yeah. There's one, which I do think is, it's funny, but it's also kind of an example of toxic fan thing. When, like, uh, the Preds score a goal, they have a chant where they, like, know the name of the opposing goaltender and then they say his name and then they're like you suck you suck it's all your fault (laughs) and like everyone knows that it's time to sing that it's you know obviously i'm i'm pro maintaining good mental health and not telling people that they suck but i was like kind of laughing i was like that's funny and the fact that everyone is doing it there's like a little like 12 year old girl sitting next to us and she was singing it i'm like this is funny (laughs) that was my first ever hockey game i've never been to a hockey game until i Mm. maybe this was maybe like 2014 and something like that maybe 15 but i was dating this russian guy and he was like let's go to a hockey game and i was like um, you're not really going to see too many people who look like me at a hockey game. So I'm like, you know, is it going to be safe? <laughs> yeah. Because this is something that I'm always I'm always thinking for about sure. for at sports events. But I went and it was incredible. It was not just like the game itself, but like what you've been talking about, like all of these people just united for this one purpose of mm-hmm. getting their team to win and like the encouraging things that they would say to the players and then the not so encouraging things they would say to the opposing <laughs> team and that kind of thing. So it really is like this moment where all of your differences kind of melt away because you just want a win, you know? Yeah. So it was really fascinating. And I like was like, oh, my God, am I a hockey fan now? I really like this. I have been trying to go to another hockey game um, since I moved to New York, and I just haven't found anyone to go with me. And I never know when the schedule is or the season yeah. and all that kind of stuff is. Yeah, it's the season's happening now. Hockey goes on until like uh, April, I think, is when the regular season ends. So is there a moment in your life where you are not watching a sport? Like between all the different seasons, is there a time where you're just like, there are no sports on right now. What am I going to do? You know, I, obviously, I feel like interests and hobbies kind of go in waves all the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There are definitely going to be moments where I'm just like focused on work or focused on music or movies. Like I'm a person where it's like, I think sports and music have been like sort of the defining interests and passions of my life. But like, I can't stay in the same place at once. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I'm, a, I'm a person who finds something new to like and then gets really into it for a month. And then has that hobby on standby, you know, for like my whims. Uh, But yeah, uh, on a normal year, how sports works is that it's all year long. You have (laughs) basketball and hockey in the fall and football, and then you have baseball in the spring and then. Yeah, NASCAR. I'm also a NASCAR fan, weirdly enough. Uh, That starts in February. I think it's just sort of like culture writer brain where I'm like kind of my big pet peeve is people who dismiss things, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like just sort of a dismissive attitude about anything. Um, And I kind of found that when I'm talking to people about NASCAR, Mm -hmm. you know, they're like, isn't that just for like Trump lovers, people from rural parts of the country i'm like well i am from a rural part of the country (laughs) and it's also amazing you know nascar is so much fun it's not just like these marlboro men trump voters who are the drivers you have people like bubba wallace who is the only black driver in the cup series and he won a race this year Mm -hmm. and he uh drives for a team owned by michael jordan 
it's cool. And he's really funny and awesome. They have a, his best friend is this dude named Ryan Blaney. And he's just like a Star Wars fanatic and super into comic books. And he likes the bands that I like. And he's, he's really lovely too. And the league also has been taking a lot of steps to be more inclusive. It's really exciting when I explain sort of like how NASCAR stood behind Bubba Wallace last year and how they were the first sport to come back from the pandemic, but they also handled it very well by like requiring masks and like being able to make races safe. It's one of those things where I can like, all right, I don't care what you, what your preconceived notions about NASCAR is. Let's sit down and I'll like get you into it. We'll watch a race and it'll be really fun. Using your culture writer brain, <laughs> what would you say is the most important aspect about sports culture and sports fandom? Uh, what does it say about American culture? Ooh, that's a really interesting thing. Well, I think the most interesting thing that it says is that sort of, it's definitely the community aspect. You know, it's, uh, I don't mean this in a derogatory sense that either things, but in a sense, it is kind of like church where you have these sort of communities that are forming around the country. You have a ritual, you know, watch the game on Sundays or wherever. Um, and it's, you know, a reflective thing of like people from all walks of life are welcome. <laughs> um, but I think the other thing is that sports, you know, depending on how you use it is sort of a barometer of American culture. And there's going to be a struggle. Like, look at what happened to Colin Kaepernick. You know, you have these sorts of things, people fighting for progress, just as you do in politics and in American life, you have that happening in sports, whether it's major league baseball players who are unionized fighting the owners for fair pay and better living and wage conditions for minor league baseball players. You have that in basketball for people like LeBron James and other people being so vocal about social issues in the country. You have that, you even have it at NASCAR with people like Bubba Wallace and uh, NASCAR's Drive for Diversity initiative. Sports can be an escape, but it's also kind of necessary factor for change. And it's been like that for a very long time. I mean, Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, you know, I think sports is important because it reflects American values and it can be a drive for change. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so the documentary series, The Last Dance. Yes. So that came out during like the height of lockdown and the pandemic mm -hmm. and everything. And so people were getting all of this inside information about Michael Jordan, the Bulls, all of the stuff that was going on uh, around his rain, I guess you could say. So as a Bulls fan, how did you feel seeing so many people get access to something that maybe you as a fan and, and you and your family uh, as fans kind of already maybe knew or had an idea about? And, and like, how did you feel about everybody sitting down and watching this show during this time? Oh, it felt amazing. I mean, uh, let's be honest, we didn't really have much going on last year. <laughs> so uh, the last dance for me as a Bulls fan was was incredibly exciting because basketball at that time wasn't back. And I remember what I said about not monetizing your hobbies. I did in this case. Um, <laughs> I was working for Vice at the time. And then I was like, well, um, I think I should review the last dance. <laughs> I just wanted to see it early. Uh, so, so I watched it early and... And I was like, this is amazing. I can't wait to like watch it when people get to watch it too so I can talk about it with them. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, 
it's cool because, you know, obviously I didn't know all the stories being a Bulls fanatic in the 90s, but it was cool to relive those moments. And it's also cool because these kind of stories happen every day in any league. You know, we just might not know about them. You know, it's it's cool to see people like Michael Jordan be Michael Jordan and also see the sort of like interpersonal dynamics in the locker room. And it's like those kind of the human stories are like kind of what fascinates me about sports. It's not just about who wins or loses. It's cool to see people live their lives and sort of figure out how to be the best version of themselves in sports and the drama of it. There's a soap opera aspect to it that's really fun. But when that happened, it was cool because the Bulls were such a cultural phenomenon in the 90s. Everyone has a Michael Jordan jersey. Everyone knows who they are. Like, it felt like kind of everyone was a Bulls fan in the 90s. And to be able to, like, celebrate that, which was, like, some of my earliest sports memories and to see people have a great time when there are not many great things happening in the world Mm -hmm. to celebrate your favorite team of all time. It was cool. It was great. Welcome aboard, everybody. I love it. Uh, do you have anything else you wanted to make sure that you said about sports fandoms? Like I said, if you're ever open, you know, you don't have, no one has to be a sports fan. But I do think that like, if you have these preconceived notions about it, or if you have these valid concerns about douchebag fans, like uh, people who gatekeep or people who are offensive at games, or just this macho posturing when it comes to sports. It's that's not that's not it. You know, those fans for trying to get them out of the game and we're trying to get as many people aboard and as many people to feel safe and welcome at these sports games. Yeah, if you ever want to talk basketball, <laughs> hit me up on Twitter. I'm always down. <laughs> and where can our listeners find you if they want to take you up on that offer and talk to you about sports? Yeah. Uh well I don't have a website, but I just am on Twitter. Uh it's at Josh H. Terry. Thank you so much, Josh. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. This was so much fun. And now it's time for today's indulgence, something you can enjoy without any shame at all. Queens of Mystery is a TV show that I have been watching via Acorn TV. Matilda Stone is a police detective in a small English town. She was raised by her three aunts after her mother mysteriously disappeared when she was three years old. Her aunts are Beth, Kat, and Jane Stone, all women in their 50s who are mystery writers, but they all write different kinds of mysteries. Kat's the badass who writes graphic novels. Jane writes these cerebral Sherlockian mysteries, and Beth writes sassy whodunits. Matilda has started looking into her mother's disappearance and the truth about who her father really is, but her aunts are following behind her to make sure the past stays in the past, all while being nosy busybodies and trying to help Matilda solve cases. Because obviously, as mystery writers, they know a thing or two about murder mysteries, right? I know that I have recommended mysteries before. I know that I have recommended stuff from Acorn TV before. I love small murder towns. Okay, I cannot help it. I am not into true crime, but give me fictional murder and I am there. 
beyond the usual sleepy murder town vibes, Queens of Mystery has this fairy tale gothic feel to it, like Edward Scissorhands or Pushing Daisies, right? This kind of saturated pastel look with a heaping amount of the macabre. And then there's this innocent protagonist who's all eyes and she's looking for love and all the ways that love can exist, right? And there is a posh narrator who opens up with, it's been 10 years, eight months, two weeks, four days, 17 hours, 29 minutes and 32 seconds since Matilda has blah, blah, blah. And Matilda's wardrobe is great. She wears her hair in this blunt cut bob and wears lots of cool pan suits and she plays in fun colors and fascinating patterns. She has this kind of twee androgynous style that I love. It is amazing. And she also has this really awkward, sweet chemistry with the town doctor slash pathologist slash dead body guy. And there's someone on the edge of town who's keeping track of Matilda's movements as she looks into her parents' past. Dun, dun, dun. Each mystery takes place over two episodes and the aunts get their moments to shine as well. And I love seeing these older women be smart and hold people. We get to see so much of their lives and their present day stories. It's incredible. Queens of Mystery is available via Acorn TV streaming. It's on its second season, which just dropped, and it is so good. It's cozy but sinister. Please check it out if you can. This has been your indulgence. You have been absolved. This is Good For You is hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver. Our editor is Misha Stanton. And our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will, and our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod, and you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, whiskey with an E, woman. And a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon, especially to our supporting producer-level patrons, Chelsea, Conchetta, Courtney, Elizabeth, and Mira. To get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you, join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. This was good for me. Was it good for you?